Hello, everybody. I'm Bishop Todd Hunter. Thank you for joining us again on the C4SO podcast. Today, our guest is Tish Warren, who you probably know as an author, uh, both of books and as an author in the New York Times. She's one of my very favorite people to talk to. She always has fantastic, interesting ideas. And today, Tish and I talk about Advent as a cultural reality. You know, Advent implies hope, but that hope implies waiting. And as a culture, we're not very good at waiting. We're not very good at hoping through hard times. And Tish helps us think this through today. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here we go. Hey, Tish Warren. It has been a long time. You know, I was on sabbatical and you're busy and you got kids and a lovely husband and moving house. Dang, how the heck are you? You should. I mean, that's a dangerous question to ask me on a podcast because you're my bishop. So <laughs> yeah, okay. You well, you can give the public. You can give the public response. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, can I have pastoral counseling? Here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the public answer is I'm fine. It's been busy, really, really busy. I'm a weekly newsletter for the New York Times, and that's right. just a faster pace of writing and, than yeah. I've ever done. And then uh, a three-year-old, and we did. We just moved houses. In fact, this right now is the very first podcast that I've done from my new space. Hey, so, we're blessed. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, lots of you will know Tish from her books, like The Liturgy of the Ordinary and her book, uh, Prayer in the Night, and then uh, her most recent one, Little Prayers for Ordinary Days. As she said, she uh, writes weekly for the New York Times. She's a mom. She's involved in church. And um, so I know lots of you know Tish from a lot of different angles. But Tish, we want to tap into you today as, a, as that combination of a, of a thinker, as somebody who cares about um, liturgy, and who cares about uh, culture. When I thought of you, Tish, I, I thought of this first question that, you know, Advent means by definition waiting. And of course, you know, when we talk about theological Advent, you know, Israel was waiting for its long anticipated Messiah. The church has been waiting 2000 years for Jesus to return and bringing with him the new heavens and the new earth. And I just thought we don't actually wait well. <laughs> That's, I don't think that's, I don't know if it's a human virtue. It certainly doesn't seem to be an, a, an American virtue. And it seems like this inability to wait is actually harming us, our culture, our church, our relationships. What do you think about that, our difficulty in waiting? Well, so first, just also a note that the book that I am working on now, today even, is a book on Advent, co-writing with Jonathan. And... um it's part of the fullness of time series that okay. uh, Esau Macaulay and oh, right. yes. Fleming Rutledge, mm -hmm. a, a bunch of Anglican folks are doing together each on one season. And my season is Advent. So I'm like neck deep in thinking about Advent right now. And mm -hmm. one of the things I talk about in the book is um, that Advent is practice and waiting I agree with you that we're not good at waiting. Um, and some of that is dispositional. We can cultivate mm -hmm. dispositions that help waiting or that make waiting more difficult, make us more restless or impatient. 
But some of it is honestly a practice. We're not very practiced yeah. at waiting. And particularly mm-hmm. if you have a level of privilege, a privilege affords you is control of your life to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, not complete control for any of us, but uh, more control. There's a sense that we don't, ha- we arrange our lives so that we don't have to wait mm-hmm. for yeah. much. And with the internet and with the smartphone, this contraption in my hand, it um, makes it, it, it's, it is practicing impatience, right? And yeah. um, I, I say this, I think, in my first book, but when, I mean, I remember, I am old enough now that I'm, I had life without the internet. And I remember when we first got it up and it, you'd have dial-up, right? Where the, yes, yeah. You know, the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if you recall that sound. <laughs> and um, now, if my computer takes more than five seconds to you know, load right. a page, I think this is taking forever. You know, yeah. I, get mm-hmm. yes. I get put out, I get angry. Like mm-hmm. this is so slow. Um, so I'm, I mean, I have been trained to expect immediate response. And I think, I think the digital age does that. It trains us that if we have a question, we can find an answer to it immediately. If we want to get in touch with someone, we can do it right then. Um, that, you know, we don't have to write a letter, wait for someone to get it, wait for a response. Everything's kind of in real time. And I think because of that, um, we have practiced impatience. We've practiced uh, like an idolatry of efficiency and convenience. And we just don't wait for much. And, yeah. and I don't want to blame it all on the internet, but I do think technology has a lot to do with this. I mean, even I don't yes. wait. If I want strawberries in January, I go down to the store and get them, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to wait growing season. I don't have to plant seeds and wait for harvest. So that we've just built a life where the things we want are right there. But the kingdom yeah. of heaven is slow. Yeah. <laughs> so mixing mixing your your thoughts with our friend uh, James K. Smith, I hear you saying that for various or through various means, but you know not least uh, our technological tools, we actually are constantly habituating our hearts into impatience, and then wondering why we have a hard time waiting. Yeah, I think that's right, and we're training our bodies in yeah not having to wait for things as well. I mean, I'm just more and more convinced that formation is so bodily. So you can read a thousand verses on patience, but if we're Mm -hmm. training ourselves through habits and through our bodies, that things come immediately, then we don't really learn to wait. Yeah. So a good example of the opposite is children, because Mm. children don't have the privilege of, controlling their own lives. So they often have to wait. They have to wait for the grownups to get off the phone to respond to them. Yeah. Or they have to right. wait. If they want to go to the store, we don't, at least in my family, we don't go to the store whenever mm. they want. You know, they have to wait for us. 
And they're very slow. I have a two-year-old and just waiting for him some time to put on his shoes or to come down the stairs. It's a much slower experience than I have without him. And so mm. I think it, children, folks in poverty, folks with a disability, anyone who um, is kind of not master of their own time, teach the rest of us to wait and to slow down in important ways. Yeah. So you could think about yourself if you wanted or, or an instance you've seen in church could be an incidence of discernment or something, but how do you notice that our inability to wait or thinking in terms of the fruit of the spirit to be patient, long suffering, et cetera, how do you see this harming our attempts at spirituality or working against our attempts at mm -hmm. Christ-like spirituality? I think there are so many ways. Um, I will address a few of them. I mean, I really, there's so many ways. One, I'll start with kind of the individual personal and move bigger from there, but okay. I would say individually and personally. Um, I mean, some of this is like we're impatient. We tend to be impatient with the people around us. Mm -hmm. I snap yeah. at my kids more easily. I have difficulty waiting um, on others. So some of it is just straight up yeah. nice of impatience. Right. But the other way this kind of works, I think, particularly in spiritual formation, is that um, we often want to be zapped by sanctification. You know, right. I, yeah. want, I want God to answer my questions now. I want sin yeah. to be out of my life immediately. <laughs> I, want, I want to have anxiety gone immediately. So the, the way this can look kind of in charismatic circles is we want to be, I mean, I, we want to be like zapped with the gospel. We want to be zapped with sanctification. Yeah. You know, the way it can mm -hmm. look in kind of more heady, I think like reformed circles is that, you know, we want the insight. And I, I had um, John Mark Comer actually in his recent podcast he did on the Sabbath talked about how we can confuse an evangelicalism insight with um, change. That if I can just understand right. my problem, understand mm -hmm. my sin, understand kind of what's causing this, then I will be different. And this is right. rooted, of course, in like a very therapeutic culture that thinks that mm -hmm. if we can just kind of talk our way to the issue, if we can get the insight, then then we'll suddenly change. So it's easy to be like, if I can just, you know, I mean, if I can understand like how my relationship with my mom messed me up, then I'll be free from that. Or yeah, I'll, I'll be, right. you know, a kind person suddenly. Or if I can understand how like my Enneagram number is affecting me, then I'll suddenly be more full of the spirit, more loving, more kind, whatever. Right. And I think um, the reality of that is, Insight is not the same as formation and change. Formation and change happens really slowly. And yeah. um, insight often comes after a long period of habit formation, mm. of wrestling with God, of wrestling with community. That's really helpful, Tish. And, um, and even then, insight is sometimes only the beginning of a long, long change. Yeah. And so I think... 
we want to sort of microwave our spiritual formation and it just can't be done. It just can't yeah. be done. That verse in the, I don't even, in the gospels where Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares growing up together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Drives me nuts. Um, because <laughs> in some ways it feels like God's like, yep, you're going to have to tolerate some things wrong. Like you're going to have, there's going to mm-hmm. be mess in the church and it's not going to be easily discernible kind of what's what and what's good and true and what's or the people that are trustworthy and people that are not and um and your desire to kind of get all the tears out right now we want to yes. perfect <laughs> pure body is is going is actually destructive like yeah. the thirst for perfect purity in the moment is actually wrong mm. and i don't like that because i it feels like a tolerance of wrong. Um, And and I don't mean to use it that way. I mean, I don't, I don't think we should use that verse to sort of apathetically ignore evil yet that I'm not in danger of that. I mean, I guess we're all in danger of that, but that's not my chief. That the reason that drives me crazy is because I think my temptation is, is impatience on sort of being the kingdom now. And so, when we see things wrong in the culture, in the church, and not, I don't mean the culture, I'm sorry, in the church, I think the there's a patience that has to be like, well, we're not going to solve this all um, today or in the next year, possibly in my lifetime. And I, yeah. I remember hearing about a Chinese Christian, a believer, who was talking about uh, persecution and uh, oppression. And he said, you know, this is not, I'm not working for this to be solved in my lifetime. I'm working for this to be solved four generations from now, five generations from now. And and that sort of long view, I think is what we need to continue as believers, but I don't, I think we don't have it. And then I want to say about the culture, I think particularly young people, I don't know if I'm young enough to speak for young people anymore, but I, um, I'm going to just do that. But I think we want justice to be quick. Mm. Um, and it's not like yeah. changing deep systemic complex issues. I, I think because we want it to be quick, we deny the complexity of some of these issues and try to make yeah. it simple. Um, that takes a long, long time and it takes generations and it takes study and it takes understanding and it takes wisdom and it takes action. I'm not saying it doesn't take action. Sure. But I think our, if you, if you have a sense of justice without a sense of patience and forbearance, then what you end up getting is a really shallow kind of performative sense mm-hmm. of justice where you'll hashtag and have all the right views and, but, but very little um like stomach for the long boring changes that need to happen i mean one of the things uh, let's take the me too movement me too movement is a really Mm -hmm. important movement but in order for actual change to happen for women when it comes to sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace it's actually going to be done in hr departments and policy Mm -hmm. books yeah. In re- which is just boring. It's just yeah, like corporate training seminars and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um 
these things are somewhat bureaucratic. They're not, they're not yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. They're not the sort of thing that can be easily hashtagged. The Arab Springs, another great example, is this like time of great energy. Mm-hmm. But unless then those places that called for democracy can then like go through the long work of building just governments, then it ends up sort of being for not. You see this, the, yeah. the musical Hamilton is a great, you know, the first, the first half of Hamilton is all about the revolution and they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and the second half is all about, oh no, we won the revolution. Now we yeah. need to actually how to govern this and that is a lot harder longer work and i think it takes patience and so i just i think that sort of internet activism trains you for excitement Mm. and for for kind of a prophetic thirst for justice but without forbearance and you see this in the civil rights movement that was a long slow move yes got it it took um uh, decades and decades in different communities Mm-hmm. And um, I I worry with younger folks being committed to social justice, but not cultivating the wisdom of waiting, that actually it, it's going to make long-term systemic change less right. doable. Like, Super helpful. As a culture, we have a problem with, mm. like, we don't do great with children. We don't do great yeah. with people with cognitive disabilities, like Mm -hmm. all of that, because we value efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tish. That's super helpful. On knowing that most of the people who listen to this podcast are, are Christian leaders. Um, you know, many of who would care about seeing changes of various kinds in culture and places of injustice. What I hear you saying that I think is really important is that waiting it's a bit counterintuitive because waiting isn't a way of being inactive or not caring about issues of justice or healing or equality or whatever. Um, um, doing that stuff with a patient heart, a heart that waits so that waiting is a manner of activity, not an excuse for inactivity. And I think that's super helpful. It's like the posture of our heart while we act. And waiting so as I theme. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And patience yeah. is not apathy. Long suffering is not apathy. Yeah. Right. It's just understanding the limitations of humans and what you can do. I can I add one I think one really important yeah, thing please. that wait lack of waiting or, or patience does sort of to us theologically, and I talk a lot about this in the upcoming Advent book, is that I think truly and really as believers we actually believe that our ultimate hope is in Jesus coming again. <laughs> like we are all waiting for that. And we actually think things aren't going to be set right until that day. And of course we participate. This is not like, you know, there's nothing, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. So we just sit around and wait for Jesus to come. We participate in God's coming kingdom. We absolutely do. Yes. But there's a humility that though we participate in God's coming kingdom, we're not going to bring God's coming kingdom and we're not going to perfect God's coming kingdom. And that um, all of our effort, or even our best efforts, will result in an imperfect church, an imperfect justice, an imperfect self still, an imperfect spiritual yeah. formation. 
And ultimately, things won't be set right until Jesus himself sets things right in the second coming. And I think when you you look at the ancient church, the medieval church, I mean, the whole church, really, like resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come is ultimately our hope. And I think we're uncomfortable with that because it's so supernatural and because we have, we got in the 20th century, really messed up rapture theology that made yeah. us think terribly about the second coming. But that really is the hope of Christians. And so we need to reclaim that because what it means is like all of our life is spent in the posture of longing and of waiting. As we said, it's not apath- the response to that is an apathy. But I do think there's a humility that comes from knowing we still are waiting for a rescue that O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel is the still, I mean, that's in the O antiphons and in the song, um, kind of the voice of the old Testament. Right. But it's still our prayer today. Hi, I'm David Taylor, C4SO scholar in residence for arts, media, and culture. And I'm Phaedra Taylor, a visual artist who happens to be married to David. And we are excited to share The Light Has Come, a collection of illustrated prayer cards that we have created for Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. This collection of 25 cards includes themes that we're familiar with, like joy and peace, or Mary and Joseph, but also less familiar ones, like sorrow and refugees, the mundane and the fantastical. And our hope with these prayer cards is that individuals like yourself, families, small groups will experience the nativity narratives in a fresh way in hopes of discovering a story that truly heals our broken world. If you'd like to learn more or purchase the cards, visit store.rabbitroom.com. And we hope you have a wonderful Advent season with those that you love. So that's a good segue into the other place I wanted us to go today, Tish, and that is that and as we said, this is this podcast series is called A Storied Season, and today we're talking about Advent. And of course, as you were saying a moment ago, that Advent reminds us every year that we're looking forward to the perfections and like the creative joys of God's will finally coming to pass and healing all human pain and suffering and injustice and angst. Um, how, again, for you, just you personally, how does this theme bring you hope in hard times? And then, you know, after that, maybe how could others get in on this hope of Advent? Like, I guess what I'm wondering is for you and how do you think for the rest of us, how does Advent become something more than just uh, a season in the church calendar, but a genuine source or fomenter to make up a word, a fomenter of hope? Yeah. So I think ultimately Advent is the season of hope. I mean, that's how I I, um, think of it mostly as um, about hope, really, honestly, more than any other church season. Um, Of course, all of them are somewhat about hope, but because um, Advent is all about longing for the coming of Christ, I talk in the book about the three comings of Advent being the coming of Christ and Christmas, you know, in the incarnation, the coming of Christ and 
what we call the second coming or, um, you know, in new heavens and new earth when Jesus will come and set things right. But then also the coming of Christ in the present, the coming of Christ in our lives. Things that we're wrestling with and struggling with and the disappointment and frustrations and longings and difficulty of being human. And so um, I think we can sort of try to quench or, or um, I don't know, to, to sort of shut down our sense of longing mm. because longing is painful. And yeah. it, it's saying that the world is not as it should be, that the things that we need are not completely fulfilled. Um, and so we do that through all kinds of things, through distraction, through consumerism, trying to fill up our needs, um, through addiction, through um, busyness, through theology sometimes, mm-hmm. kind of working down our theology with cheerful, like, Jesus has got this, so I don't have to right. feel things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Advent's this invitation to actually kind of lean in to that longing, to let ourselves experience um and a, a more than experience i think acknowledge what we experience every day of of a sense of god's absence or a sense of the brokenness of the world or the sense of our own sadness and frustration over pain that in, um that we're enduring and that people we love are enduring but i think the reason there's hope for that as a believer is because in these seasons and times where we acknowledge that things aren't as they ought to be, we are also calling on God to meet us there, to come. Yeah. Um, and so if Jesus is waiting in the deepest places of our pain and need, then actually giving time to look at those places of our pain and need ends up being an encounter with God. And I think Advent doesn't just proclaim that things are broken. It proclaims that things will be made right. And so it's this deep proclamation that we don't have to make alone. We're making with the historic church and the global church and through all these cool practices, right? Yeah. That um, cool or sometimes difficult things like fasting. But that God is actually going to set things right. That Jesus came that his kingdom is we can be confident in his kingdom mm-hmm. because he we saw him in the flesh because we saw the resurrection the first fruits of what's to come and because he sent his spirit so we can be confident that he is coming in the yes. flesh and so i think um i mean even i think those folks that are would consider themselves not religious or waiting. They're waiting for something. They're waiting for the relationship that they're longing for Uh, to come and set, you know, everything right. They're waiting for the raise. They're waiting for, you know, the thing that they think will fulfill them. Yeah. We're all waiting. What Advent does is say, we're not just like waiting for Godot. We're not just going to wait and wait and wait for something that's not really coming. It's saying, no, Jesus came. Jesus is risen. That's a real fact that you can bet your life on, that you can put your hope in. And because we have seen that, we believe Jesus is coming again. So it's this place of, of incompleteness that we find ourselves in, but this promise of completeness to come. 
And in that space between the incompleteness we experience and the completeness that is on its way that we see glimpses of even now, um, that is a space where hope grows. And that's where mm. that, that is the place of hope. Yeah. And I hear some really cool um, resonances um, with your book on the liturgy of the ordinary and how it's that it's in our everyday ordinary life that we, we mix the more religious elements of our faith of various elements of liturgy or the daily hours or whatever. And that somehow that's what helps us be um, present to this thing. I think it's so important that you said, Tish, that this is not like a vain hope. It's not a, a, a religious nicety that's meant to like calm our um, spiritual existential angst, like with a cup of warm tea or something, but that cross and resurrection um, point to something that absolutely we will wait for, not in vain, but in fulfillment. I think part of, because I said, like, we have a difficult time waiting and we have a difficult time remembering as a church that our hope isn't in this moment, that it's in Jesus coming. I think because of that, we can then just totally focus on kind of the moment in front of us. You know, I know, I know I'm hearing people from fundamentalist backgrounds like scream at the podcast now because I know at times the church is focused far too much on kind of pie in the sky, otherworldly right. ideas. But I also think we can we can so focus on the gifts of the liturgy. And I mm -hmm. am liturgy girl, right? Like, I mean, yeah. come on, like, that's what I do. I introduce slow church evangelicals to liturgy all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but we can focus on that or we can focus on the church or the beauty of family or the beauty of theology, even all of these sort of things. Um. But really, like, that's all useless unless we actually have a risen Savior who is coming to make things mm -hmm. right. So what you were saying about, like, this is Advent, I would say, like, Easter and other church seasons is, um, it it's not, it can't just be kind of a religious nicety. If it's that, then it's nothing at all. Right. It's actually a claim of fact that we're making. Yes. And it's yes. on that really solid fact that that we're building our hope. Yeah, I think what we're getting at is that for a lot of Christian spiritualities, comprehending a fact like cross and maybe having a really thorough um, theory of the atonement and resurrection and maybe having a, some really good, you know, historical proofs for the resurrection, and then we sort of stop. As so now we've sort of got the cross and we got resurrection. And I think what you and I want to say today is that no, it's the, the story that cross and resurrection tells implies the longing, it, it, it implies a coming fulfillment, but it also funds for me um, the courage to do the good and the stick to to pursue justice. It's because I do believe. I'm not living in a fairy tale Yeah, um, that I'm living in a story. And it's that story, even though it's not yet, you know, the telos to use that lovely Greek new Testament word is not here yet. I do believe it's coming because of cross and resurrection. And that's what keeps me in the game. Cause it is yeah. so easy as you know, to get hopeless. 
That's exactly right. I think my husband talks about living as if living as if there's a brass dome over the universe. It's just sort mm-hmm. of like as if it's a closed system. And the only thing that's going to make a difference is kind of us and our own effort or something. Yeah. But Advent and the gospel itself calls us to the fact that that's not reality, that mm-hmm. God is actually at work. And because of that, we can join God in his work. We can have courage. We can have patience and yeah. and we can have, we can act and make a difference in the world. Having patience that God is at work. Uh, tell hard day Shardine, I keep thinking about this in this podcast, which I know um, some folks, I mean, he can some, he can sometimes be kind of heretical, but this is a good quote from him, which is, uh, he says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the only reason that any of us can continue with any of our work, whether it's small, you know, as something as daily meals, raising children, or mm-hmm. you know, something that feels kind of big and flashy, whatever, is that God is at work in the world. We're not going to bring the kingdom. I, I think we need... I think Dave Zoll calls a low anthropology, a sense that mm, yeah. you know, we're not the saviors of the world. But I think if we're going to have a low anthropology, we also need like a high pneumatology. We need mm. a high sense that God is actually at work in the world, but also our lives. And so things, we can have all the hope in the world that that we're not on our own and that where we are today is not where we'll be a year from now. Not because God is going to make everything good and mm-hmm. you know go well in our lives, because God's my prayer in the night talks about we God never promises to keep bad things from happening to us. Right. But I think we can have hope that that truly the love of God is the final word of our lives and of of the cosmos of of everything of every system of every nation, which is ultimately what what advent is proclaiming yeah thank you tish so much this has been great uh, i always like to end with something fun with our guests so what for you just personally is a favorite advent moment or favorite advent story like maybe you love the advent wreath or i don't know yeah i do love the advent wreath and I, I, and I didn't been, mean to direct you there. It's been specifically fun since we had children, just because Advent is a really fun. We, I, I don't know, if, I don't know if I should confess this to my bishop or in public, but I'm a priest married to a priest, and we do not generally do family devotions. Like we don't, we we pray together, you know, every day, but. Yeah. It, around the table and at night, but we don't like right. sit down and do family devotions, but every yeah. advent we do. And mm. so we light candles, we sing, uh, we have these chocolate advent wreaths that our kids love them. And they used to, they kind of walk through the story, the biblical story of the nativity. And so that's been really fun. Um, I would say that's probably my favorite sort of advent treat as a family. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite Advent memories, you were there, Todd, was I got ordained on uh, as a deacon on St. Nicholas Day. That's right. December. And I was eight and a half months pregnant. I so remember. Yes. I was so pregnant. And so- We were here in Nashville, weren't we, at Redeemer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
I could, I mean, I knelt, but everybody else, you know, laid flat. Oh, yes. And I couldn't, because I had a giant <laughs> baby inside me. And so, um, but it was this beautiful picture. And if you know my story more of, of how I ended up getting ordained, which, you know, for most of my adult life, I had not been for women's ordination. So that was a big, long change and process. Yeah. But so to be getting ordained during Advent, the time that we remember Mary, you know, Jesus in the womb waiting right. to be. Yes. And to have this baby inside me. I mean, I was just, I, I was so pregnant. So yeah, it, Anyway, that is just like this beautiful memory. It felt theological. Yeah, that's awesome memory. Same year, I don't know why this is so cute to me, but my three-year-old daughter at the time, she's 12 now, she just she asked for, a str- for strawberries for Christmas, which is just the funniest, <laughs> sweetest thing. Yeah. That, that is, that's what she wanted was strawberries. <laughs> so and so I remember going and my sister buying strawberries at the store to give her on Christmas morning and where were we going to hide the strawberries and that sort of thing. So that, those are fun. That's more of a Christmas memory, but except that it was during Advent that we were like, they were thinking about it. Yeah. Thinking about how to get, you know, we didn't want to give her old strawberries, but it was like, you didn't want to go then on Christmas Eve and buy strawberries. So we were figuring that out. That's so great. Well, our guest today on the C4SO podcast has been Tish Harrison Warren. Um, Lots of you will know her as an author. Uh, Some of you will know her as a priest and a colleague. And certainly that's how I hold you in my heart, Tish, a dear, respected colleague. I'm so happy to be in ministry with you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. 